John Cannon and the Congregation of Victory Church welcome you to this message from the Word of God. It is our heartfelt desire to see you grow closer to the Lord and to help you become all that He has created you to be. Our prayer is that through this ministry you would come to know Him in a greater way and that these teachings from Scripture would better equip you to fulfill His plan in your life. Now, let's join Pastor John as we study the Word together. Are you there in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 14? If you are, give me a head nod. Are you there? This week's um, D6 theme is on discipleship. And this week in our Fusion devotional magazine, all week long as we go through and study about discipleship, we're going to study five different what are called Fusion facts in your devotional magazine. Now, if you do not have one of these devotional magazines, uh, be sure to stop by the back table. Uh, we'll have some extras back there. If we run out, be sure to let us know. Put it on your connection card, and we'll be sure to get you one. But these are devotional magazines that you will be reading and studying in every single day. And as we unpack these five fusion facts, on Monday we're going to be discovering how experiencing the power of Jesus means leaving the safe and the comfortable. And we're talking about being disciples, being Christ's followers. And that's what discipleship is all about, growing in our ability to follow Christ. And when we do that, usually the first thing God is going to do, because he has such a tremendous um, spirit of humor about him, is that he's going to move you outside of your safety zone and your area of just being comfortable. God always likes to stretch us, especially whenever we really start getting serious about following him. On Tuesday, we're going to discover how Christ's disciples share the gospel. On Wednesday, we're going to talk about how God knows the changes we need to make. On Thursday, we'll discover how there is no such thing as a non-serving disciple. And on Friday, we're going to study together how disciples are holy because God is holy. So there's so many different areas in your life as a disciple uh, that we're going to be paying attention to in our devotional magazine this week. So hope and pray that you're all studying through that and working through that. I'm reminded of a story by Hudson Taylor. Most of you may understand and know who Hudson Taylor was. Hudson Taylor was born in 1832. He died in 1905. He's the founder of the China Inland Mission. He was a missionary to China. And one time, uh, Hudson Taylor was interviewing different college students and seminary students that would come and help him on the mission field. And he was asking them a lot of practical questions, such as, you know, why do you want to come and help me on the mission field? What is the reason behind why you are coming? And why do you wish to go into foreign missions? Questions of that nature. In response to some of those questions, he heard a, a variety of different answers, such as, I want to reach others across the sea because Christ commanded us to go into all the world and preach the gospel. Another student said that, I want to go because millions are dying without ever hearing about Jesus, and the only one who can ever save is him, and I want to share him. And Hudson Taylor heard many responses along this line. And he told them, he said, guys, your motives are pure. I don't question your motive at all. Those are very good responses. But he said that I fear that you will fail in times of severe testing and tribulation, especially, get this, if you are confronted with the possibility 
of having to face death for your testimony. The only motive that will enable you to remain true is stated in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 14, where I had you turn. The Apostle Paul says this, For Christ's love compels us. For Christ's love compels us. That word compel in the Greek translated into English compel means to, to press together. It's the love of Christ bestowed upon us that presses us together and motivates us and pushes us in the direction that we are to go according to God's will for our life. When you ask the Apostle Paul, Paul, why did you do these great things? And we all understand and we all believe that the Apostle Paul was outside of Jesus, was the greatest preacher that ever walked on the face of the earth. Outside of Jesus, he was the greatest evangelist that ever walked on the face of the earth. I mean, he was the greatest church planner that ever walked. On the, there's so much we can learn from the Apostle Paul. And if we went to the Apostle Paul and we said, Paul, what motivates you? What drives you? What holds you together? What presses you together? What inspires you to do what you do? You know what he would say? 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14. For Christ's love compels me. Guys, what is it that motivates us to be a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ? What is it that drives us to be His disciple? If it's anything short of His love for us, I will share with you the same thing that Hudson Taylor shared many, many years ago with those wanting to come on the mission field. I'm afraid that your motive will not carry you through the difficult moments you'll face as a child of God. Possibly even death or your love. Now, I have heard 2 Corinthians 5.14 misquoted many times. And I'm sure with many good intentions. And they misquote it by reversing the love. Paul said, it's Christ's love for me that compels me, not my love for Christ. I've heard people say, well, I love Christ so much, that's what motivates me. And I am like the Apostle Paul, that's what compels me. That's not what Paul said. Hello? Paul had a good understanding of God's love for him. And the love that God had for him is what compelled him and motivated him. Has nothing to do with your ego. Has nothing to do with sometimes your Christian arrogance of being a great child of God. Has everything to do with God and nothing to do about you. Hello? You've seen the macho Christian people that walk around like they're so spiritual. Paul's saying that it's not that at all. I don't think in Paul's life we would see a Christian spirit or a Christian ego or Christian arrogance about him. We see a man that's humble and realize that he is nothing without Christ. And it's Christ's love for him that compels him to go. Not what he has done for Christ that compels him, but what Christ has done for him that compels him. Guys, let's be sure we get that correct. 
I've heard that verse misquoted many, many, many times over the years. I've heard Sunday school teachers with great intentions and preachers with great intentions misquote this verse. It's not about your love for Christ. It's you getting a good understanding of his love for you. And once you discover that and once you understand that, that's what will press you together, hold you together through the difficult times. That's what will compel you to go. Now, we're talking about being a disciple. And guys, I try, I'll be honest with you, in this day and age we're living in, I mean, I told someone this week, matter of fact, I told two or three people this week, it seemed like the conversation kept coming up in different times when I'd meet with different people. But we're sitting on a time bomb. I mean, you watch around the current events going on in our world today, and man, this thing is about, it seems to me like everything's about ready to blow. And you know who's going to come under attack first and foremost? It's going to be Christians. Hello? And you know what's really going to happen? Then we are going to discern who is a true disciple of Christ. Are you, are you ready to die for him? You see, in our world today, we're kind of spoiled whenever, whenever it comes to Christianity. We've had very little tribulation or persecution because of our faith. Other than someone may shun us or not invite us to a, a particular get-together or a party or maybe crack a joke on us. That's, that's kind of the extent of any persecution that most of us in this life have experienced. But I believe it's right around the corner. And guys, this subject this week on being a disciple of Jesus Christ is one that I think is very true. It's very important for the time that we live in today. We need to pay attention. Okay? So I want to share with you, in lieu of all of that, I want to share with you some marks of a true disciple of Christ. What is it that identifies us as a disciple? What is it that identifies us as a Christ follower? Christianity Today editor Carl Henry said this. He said, I wish that Christians in our day could have an easily identifiable mark that would at once distinguish them as Christians. Well, there are several marks. Matter of fact, we're going to look at three different marks that Jesus tells us will identify us as a child of God, as a Christian. I'm here to tell you today, if you don't line up with these three marks, you're not a child of God. If you don't line up with these three marks, you're not a disciple of Jesus Christ. And I'm going to share with you three identifying marks that Jesus gave that will tell us and identify if we really are a child of God, if we really are a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm reminded also what Francis Schaeffer said. He said that love is the mark that Jesus gives to label a Christian not just in one era or one locality, but at all times and all places until Jesus returns. The first passage of Scripture I want you to turn to real quickly, and we're going to go back and forth to three or four different passages. But in John 13, verse 34 and 35, Jesus said, I give you a new command. Love one another just as I have loved you, and you must also love one another. By this, all people will know that you're my disciples. You see, one of the marks is love. That's not the first thing you need to fill in there. I'm not there yet. But one of the things is love. I mean, just the fact that we love. And Jesus said, that's a mark. That will, is what would define you. Now, we're going to look at three passages of Scripture, but let me just unpack something real quickly before I move any further. You see, the term Christian, the term Christianity is used very loosely in our day. 
As a matter of fact, many would say that America is a Christian nation. I wouldn't identify America any longer as a Christian nation. Matter of fact, I identify America as the greatest mission field on the planet Earth right now. I mean, there are so many different groups here in America today. At one time, America used to be a Christian nation. At one time, America was founded on Christian principles. But my friends, you're seeing those erased, and you're seeing them marked out, and you're seeing them put away left and right, left and right. Listen, we got to understand that being a Christian, being labeled a Christian, requires something of each and every one of us. And Jesus is going to share with us some marks. As a matter of fact, in Acts chapter 11, verse 26, that's, there, there's the history of the term Christian. The very first time that, that believers and disciples were labeled Christians was in Acts 11 and verse number 26, where it says they were first called Christians at Antioch. In other words, they were little Christ walking around. I mean, what they were doing, how they were acting, how they were reacting, things they were involved in, it reminded everybody that looked on them like their master that they were following. It reminded them and it, they, they resembled their master, which was the Lord Jesus. And that's where they were first called Christians. So we got to understand, just because we're in America today, that doesn't necessarily mean we're a Christian. Just because we go to church, that doesn't necessarily mean that we're a Christian. Hello? Just because we're involved in good activities doesn't necessarily mean that we are a Christian. And we're going to look at some responses today that Jesus gave us that would help identify us and mark us as a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. Number one, write this one down. This is mark number one, the first mark that Jesus mentioned. A true disciple of Christ, I'm not going to be anything on the screen, but a true disciple of Christ, write this word down, continues in the word. A true disciple of Christ, number one, continues in the Word. Now, in John chapter 8, verse 31, you may want to turn there in your Bibles. In John chapter 8, verse 31, listen to what Jesus said. And Jesus said to the Jews who had believed Him, notice the very first word, if, if you continue in my Word, you really are my disciples. Notice the condition. The condition is on if. Jesus said, if you continue in my word, you are my disciple. So continuance in the word of God is something that would mark us or identify us as a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I believe there are two things that are necessary if we truly want to continue in the word. Number one, we must hear the word. I mean, I mean, guys, we've got to come to a point where we hear the Word of God. What's the best way to hear the Word of God? Well, to read it, to study it, to memorize it, to continually put ourselves in a place where the Word of God is faithfully taught. Friends, listen, if we're truly going to be a disciple, this week is all about discipleship. And if we're truly going to be a disciple, we must continue in the Word. And we must hear what the Word says. You see, the trouble with discipleship is, begins right here. You see, there are a lot of folks that hear the Word of God taught, but they're not listening or they want to hear what it's saying. Matter of fact, the Word of God is available, it's taught to us, but many times we don't want to hear it. I'm reminded of the story of Harry Ironside. 
And Dr. Ironside was pastoring a church, and a husband and a wife team were coming occasionally. Most of the time, it was just the wife that would come to church. Dr. Ironside pulled the wife aside one Sunday, and she said, I noticed that your husband doesn't come very often with you to church. Does he not enjoy our church? And she said, oh, Dr. Ironside, she said, he loves our church. He loves the people of the church. He enjoys the atmosphere. He enjoys the friendliness. He loves the church. It's your sermons that he doesn't like. And he said, really? I said, yeah. He said, when you preach the word of God, he told me it takes him weeks to get over it because he doesn't like what you're saying. That's why he's not here. Friends, let me tell you something. There's people like that in every church across America. Matter of fact, you look around in our church. I got to thinking about that after I read that story about Dr. Ironside. And I got to thinking about our church. And I got to thinking about people that used to be sitting right where you're sitting. And they land in here every few months or so and then they're gone. Could it be that they're hearing the word but they're not taking heed to the word? Could it be that they're hearing what is being taught, but the word of God is so powerful and so convicting that the easiest thing to do is just avoid it altogether? You see, a true disciple of Christ, he hears the word of God and he takes heed to the word of God and he grows thereby and he realizes that it's a sword that's sharp. The Word of God is like a two-edged sword. I mean, it cuts going and a coming. I mean, even down to the very depths of our being. Hello? You know why a lot of churches are packed and running over today? It's because a lot of churches have turned into entertainment centers and they're more concerned about making everybody feel good than they are proclaiming what thus saith the Lord. And guys, let me tell you something. One day I've got to stand before God and give an account of what I preach behind this podium. Hello? And I took a vow many years ago to God that I will proclaim your word. And I hope and pray we can grow a church and I'm all about being friendly and I'm all about trying different methods and I'm all about loving on people and I'm all about doing... Hey, let's, let's wear jerseys on Sunday morning. That's okay with me. But listen, at no time can we lower the standard of the preaching of the Word of God. That must stay preeminent in everything that we do. If we're going to be a true disciple of Christ, we must continue in the Word. And the first way to do that, we must hear the Word. And then secondly, just continue in the Word. I mean, just continue in the word. Look what he says in John 8, 31. Jesus said to the Jews who believed him, these are the followers, these are his disciples. If you continue in my word, you really are my disciples. You see, that continuing in the word applies holding to the faith of the word of God. You see, I'm reminded as I was studying this passage of scripture out this week. And I was reading all through John chapter 4 and 5 and 6 and 7 and 8 and all, just really the gospel of John and, and unpacking and paying attention to all the teaching that Jesus was doing. Do you realize, guys, that there were many questions that were brought up to Jesus? I mean, he's given some profound, startling truths as he's teaching through the gospel of John. And there are many questions that were brought to him, such as, how can a man be born again when he's old? How can this man give us flesh or his flesh to eat? What does he mean? You will look for me and not find me and where I go you cannot come. There were many questions that were brought up. 
But let me shine some light on this. Do you realize that these questions that were raised because of his teachings were raised primarily by the people at large and not his true disciples? Understand what I'm saying? There was a mass multitude following. Primarily the questions were raised by the people at large and not His true disciples. The point I want to make is this. His disciples followed Him. Whether they understood everything He was saying or not, they continued in His Word and they followed Him. You see, sometimes I get addressed by people that question a lot of the Word of God. You know what, guys? We've got to come to the place, if we're a true believer of Christ, that we just accept His Word by faith. And we just believe what He said is true. And we just pray. And I'm not saying asking questions is wrong. I'm not talking about when you have a sincere heart and you're trying to understand Scripture. I'm talking about these questions that call into question God being who He is, Jesus being who He was, the truth of God's Word being what it really is. I'm talking about those questions that really are questioning the whole faith of Christianity. That's trouble. True disciples listen to what He says. But okay, Jesus said it. It's true. I may not understand everything about it, but I'm going to follow, and I'm going to grow, and I'm going to learn, and I'm going to continue in His Word. You see, you don't have to understand everything in the Word of God to be a disciple of Christ. You just got to give your life to Him and then follow Him and continue in His Word. That's number one. Mark number two, jot this one down if you will, please. A true disciple of Christ not only continues in the Word, number two, He loves one another. Now, I'm talking about ways that we can identify if we are a true disciple of Christ. Number one, we continue in the Word. Number two, we love one another. We love one another. Look what Jesus said in John chapter 13. Now, all of these these marks that I'm giving you were spoken by the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. He said, continue in the Word, and you'll be my disciple. And then in John 13, 35, He says, by all this, or by, by this, all people, talking about the world, will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Now, I don't know about you. I don't even know if you paid attention to it. But let me shine some light on this passage of Scripture for you. You see, in John 13 and 35, there's a unique quality in this verse. There's something that should have jumped off the pages to you. What is the unique quality that we see in John 13 and verse 35? It's at the beginning. He said, by this all people. You see, Jesus gave the reference point to the world. He said, by this all people will know you're my disciples. He said, the world will know you're my disciple. Now, what is the mark that the world is going to look at to know if we are a true disciple? What is it? It's how we treat each other. It's the love that we have for each other. Now, hold on to your hats here, guys. I think this is pretty profound. What our Lord is telling us here. Notice there's no reference to the world judging us in John 8, 31. Continue in the word. Be my disciple. But here Jesus said, now I'm going to let the world judge you. It's almost like Jesus calls a timeout. 
Time out. And he, he turns from his disciples. He turns to the world. And he said, world, I want you to be the judge whether this bunch over here is truly my disciple. And here's how you judge it. I want you to judge them. I want you to look at them. I want you to pay attention how they treat each other. That will be what identifies them as a disciple. Wow. Guys, do you realize this is the only time when Jesus turned to the world? And he said, by this, all people the world will know that you're my disciple if you love one another. The only time Jesus turned to the world and said, world, I want you to judge my church. Wow. Hey, church, don't be upset when the world looks at you and questions and calls into account possibly some inconsistencies in your life or some hypocrisy that may be there. Don't you get angry with them if anyone calls into question any hypocrisy or, or us inconsistencies in our life. You know what it should do? It should drive us to our knees. And we should repent because we failed the test that Jesus put in place for the world to judge whether we're truly a child of God or not. Wow. Hello? That's good stuff, isn't it? You know what we need to do? We need to open up the veil and the curtains, the windows of Victory Church. And we need to say to the world that's out there, O'Fallon, Lebanon, Mascuda, Fairview Heights, Belleville, Shiloh, help me out, Troy, Edwardsville, the whole area. I want you to look at how we treat each other. You be the judge. That's what Jesus said. By this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love one for another. So how would the world judge you? How would people in your community judge you? How are you treating each other? Listen, guys. There's no big eyes and little U's around here. Mm -mm. There's nobody more important than anybody else around here. Hello? And if for some reason you think you are more important, you've got a sin problem. It's called pride. Hello? Hey, I'm just trying to be real. You know what we're to do? We're to love each other. I don't care where you've come from. I don't care where you've been. You know what? It doesn't matter to me. All that matters to me is that I show Christian love to you. Now, how do we do that? Can, can I unpack that real quickly? I know it's time to close. Can, can I unpack it real quickly? How do we show this love? I mean, this is the standard that Jesus gave the world permission to judge us on, on whether we love one another or not, whether we're true disciples or not, based on how we love each other. What is this love? What is this love that he's talking about? Obviously, it's a special kind of love. Obviously, there's many characteristics of this love. But how does such a special love operate? Oh, I don't have time to preach it. But I would love to just go and unpack the entire book of 1 John. You need to write that down. The entire book of 1 John deals with how we are to love one another. Matter of fact, it's an entire commentary on how to treat your brother in Christ. 1 John, the whole epistle, the whole book, read it. Oh, it's good. 
That's what is used to teach us how to love one another. You see, many of us know John 3.16, don't we? We know that verse. Boy, we've got it memorized, don't we? Let's say it together. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have. We know that verse. But do we know 1 John 3.16? Most do not. 1 John 3.16. Turn your Bibles. Look at look that real quickly. You've you got to get to that verse. 1 John 3.16. This is how we have come to know love. He laid down His life for us. We should also lay down our lives for our brothers. There's the mark. There's the kind of love. Jesus said, that's the love that I want you to show in my church. Where you lay down your life for your brothers. And if anyone has this world's good and sees his brother in need, but closes his eyes to his need, how can God's love reside in him? Little children, we must not love with word or speech, but with truth and action. May I remind you, church, oh, get this, church. He's not writing to the world here. He's writing to the church. Okay? Oh, can I just be so truthful? You know what saddens my heart? I see this happen in the church, and I see this happen in families, and I deal with this in counseling over and over and over again, and unfortunately I see the same thing happen in the church. Listen, many times we treat a perfect stranger that we have never seen before. Kinder, nicer, we serve them more, we do more for them than we do those in our own family. Hello? Why is it that we take our family for granted? Let's talk now about our immediate family at home. When's the last time you've told your husband or your wife or your children that you love them? Hello? You see, I'm on Facebook all the time and I'm on Twitter all the time and other social areas and I really try to use that as a ministry. and, and, And what I see, I see people telling everybody else what great people they are and how much they love them. When's the last time you told somebody in your family that you love them? When's the last time you've got on your son or daughter's Facebook page or your mom and dad's Facebook page or your grandparents' Facebook page and, and you, you, you esteem them of great value and you shared with them how much you care about them as much as you do that person that rarely and barely even knows you or you have very little interaction with. Can I bring that into the church? You mind if I met a little bit? Matter of fact, where I went to Bible college at Trinity Baptist Bible College in Asheville, North Carolina, they told me, my theology professor and my homiletics professor said, listen, if you don't get in there and met a little bit in somebody's life, you really had not preached a whole lot. It's not enough to leave it in the biblical world. We've got to lay it in our lap. Let me speak to our church family. You see, sometimes, let me just give an indictment on our church. Sometimes, not all the time, sometimes we're more concerned about a first-time guest walking through that door than we are our own church family walking through that door. Hello? Sometimes, now I'm all for greeting first-time guests and second-time guests, and I, I, want, I, want, to, we, you know, I want to greet, I want to show Christian love, and, and I, I want people to come. Hey, but let's don't forget about the one that's been here for 13 years, 12 years, faithfully serving every single Sunday, every single day, working in and out, in and out, in and out. Sometimes, church, get this, 
I've watched you do it. Sometimes you take for granted those that serve here on a weekly basis without a hug and a handshake. I've watched some of you not talk to each other. I've watched some of you walk right by one another. I've watched some of you not invite people to events. I've watched some of that. Maybe it's a hard place to say amen. But guys, let me tell you something. We've got to learn to love on each other. Jesus said that's a mark that will identify you as a child of God. Am I okay today? Y'all just kind of staring. Hello? I mean, is this too strong? Do I, do I, need, to, do I need to water it down a little bit? I just want, there's the word. It's what Jesus said. Hello? The world is watching. They're watching how you treat each other. They're judging you. And how should we do that? Oh. You see, Jesus says in John 3, 16, we should also lay down our lives for our brothers. And I doubt any of us are, going, are really going to have many opportunities to sacrifice our life for each other. I mean, really, you know, knock you out of the way of the metro bus and me standing in the way and let it kill me. Most of us aren't going to have that opportunity too many times, huh? What is he talking about here? I think there are some things that we should sacrifice. I think we should sacrifice our own interest. I think we ought to die to self. I think we ought to die to our needs and serve others. Hello? I think there needs to be sacrifice in the home. I think we need to serve in the home. You see, we live, we live in a culture today where our world tells you today, boy, if you're not happy, get out of it. Hello? If you're not content, you're not happy, get out of it. After all, life's all about you. Have a good time. Be sure you're happy. You don't see that in God's Word. You see laying down your life. That's called dying to self. That's called sacrifice. I got to move on. Let me give you number three. I could say a whole lot more, but I got to stop. Let me give you number three. I'm talking about things that identify us and mark us as a child of God, a disciple. Number three, a true disciple of Christ produces much fruit. Produces much fruit. John 15, 8, the Word of God says, My Father is glorified by this, that you produce much fruit and prove to be my disciples. Wow. Do you realize in all three of these quotes by Jesus... These are marks that identify his disciples. We continue in the word. We love each other. We produce fruit. Those three things are what identifies us, according to Jesus, as a disciple. John 15, what a wonderful chapter. I don't know if any of you guys have ever read the book by Bruce Wilkinson. Most of you have read his book called The Prayer of Jabez. You remember that book? He also wrote another little booklet called The Secrets of the Vine. Out of John 15, you need to get it and read it. Wonderful book. John 15, you know what that's all about? It's all about abiding. How in the world can we bear fruit? How can we produce fruit? John 15 gives us several successful steps for fruit bearing. I'm not even going to have time to unpack them. But I'll give you one or two. Number one, recognize your own inability to produce it. Guys, you can't produce fruit by yourself. Check the ego at the door. Check the arrogance at the door. Check the spiritual haughtiness at the door. You can't do it by yourself. Hello? Come on, guys. You with me? You can't do it by yourself. And if we're ever going to produce fruit, we've got to realize that I am completely inadequate to do it. I cannot do it. 
by myself. In John 15, in verse number 5, Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I am him produces much fruit because you can do nothing without me. Notice, it did not say you cannot do big things without me. Jesus didn't say you can't do much without me. He said you can do what? Say it for me. Nothing. Say it for me, church. Say it again, out loud. What can you do without him? One more time. Say it again. Get a hold of that. Oh, if we can get a hold of that. Without him, I can do nothing. Without him, I can do nothing. Without him, I can do nothing. Jesus said, the third mark, that you're my disciple, you produce fruit. And then he said in verse 5, the only way you can produce it is if you remain in me. And I in you. Verse number four, he also said, remain in him. Remain in me and I in you, just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself unless it remains on the vine. Neither can you unless you remain in me. There are two, there's, a, there's a negative and a positive here. The negative is the nothingness that you can produce without him. The positive is all the great fruit you can produce with him. I wonder, did you pass the test? Are you a disciple? of Christ. Well, thank you for joining us for this message from the Word of God. We know that the truth you have just heard will change your life if you believe it and intentionally apply it. If you need someone to pray with, or maybe you just want someone to talk to, please call us at 618-622-9360. That's 618-622-9360. Or you can email us at victory at victorychurchonline.net. That's victory at victorychurchonline.net. If you're interested in obtaining more teaching materials, or if you'd like to partner with us in this ministry, please contact us. You can call, email, or send a request to 715 Lake Point Center, Suite 109 in O'Fallon, Illinois. Or come check us out on the web at www.victorychurchonline.net. And again, we thank you and are glad you could join us.